0: Welcome to the Leadership Labs of DeepRec.ai, the podcast where we delve into the fascinating world of deep tech entrepreneurship, company founders, and venture capitalists. I'm your host, Anthony Kelly, and I'm thrilled to have you join us in this exciting journey. In each episode, we explore the minds behind groundbreaking technologies, the visionaries who dare to push the boundaries of innovation, and the investors who fuel the growth of tomorrow's game changers. We're joined today by Dominic Ovax. Dominic is a CEO and founder at
1: Colossian, Dominic,
0: great to have you on the show. How are you
1: doing? Thanks, Anthony. It's uh, a great uh, time to be here. Uh, I'm doing uh, exceptionally well. As you can imagine, with all this uh, generative AI hype around the world, uh, it's uh, a really uh, challenging situation to consume all this information and make really strategic uh, decisions as a uh, leader of one of these companies, but uh, uh, everything is fine today, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I actually, it was funny, it was this week as well, I think, or maybe last week, I wrote a blog on how uh, video guns are probably the sleeping giant in the AI world now. Um, you know, we see a lot of hype that ChatGPT got. I know, look, language models are pretty cool, but as I say, just just wait until we can have an ultimate ending to to Game of Thrones at our fingertips.
1: <laughs> Indeed, we can even have a personalized uh, snippet for that. Actually, yeah. I, I have some I have some uh, like um, uh, hidden uh, hidden uh, needs such as that for for all kinds of different series. But I'm very happy to say that uh, we actually contributed to one. Uh, live-action uh, TV series called The Power, which just got released on Amazon Prime. One of the characters was actually created with Colosseum, so that's uh, already a proof of the entertainment uh, use case in Hollywood with using this technology.
0: Is this, is this power the one that had 50 cents?
1: Uh, I, uh, I, it's powered by uh, Sister Pictures Productions. It recently oh, got released right, right, uh, right. on the first of yeah, April, like... as far as I believe.
0: I know there's a series called Power, I, had, I think I had 50 Cent in it, and then there's a second series now about the Sun, I think that one might be called Dead Power, it could be a
1: different one, this is more like a, a, a teen drama right, so with um, <laughs> right. the dark aspects, but uh, it recently got released Yeah, but uh, it's, it, it's, uh, it was a great experience for us because I would have never imagined that people sell um our videos for such high quality needs like hollywood producers are like extremely picky and have really high standards and it's already approved that with today's technological standards it can be showcased in a movie that's like uh, you know an an amazing uh, amazing achievement for the technology itself in my opinion
0: i mean yeah there's also also less line practice as well right so if, if the technology, when the technology is there, should actors be worried?
1: I don't think so, to be honest, because it's just a, an, additional, an additional step in the process. And uh, in case like uh, uh, for various other movies where you have to make, look, uh, make actors look younger or, or you have to edit uh, the way they speak or maybe the language they speak in, you still need the actor, you still need the actor's consent and the actor will still get paid. But these are like uh, these open up new creative elements and possibilities in the movie industry. Um, I don't think the actors will lose their jobs anytime soon. To be honest. Nice,
0: nice. Um, look, I, I want to hear all about your, your your growth. What has been happening for you over the last couple of years with, with Colossian? How you've sort of developed your your role. To be, I guess coming from that software engineering AI background to now being a CEO, managing managing business, managing commercials, obviously very different to how you portrayed your career, or uh, what you thought your career would portray. Sorry, I mean, um, in your university days, but before we do that, I want to find out a little bit more about you. What? What's been your entrepreneurial drive right because we we met back when you were going through apX with the Fusher, uh, which is probably four years ago now so so quite some time ago but you know you're a young guy you've gone from startup to startup which isn't easy even for the most experienced people. Uh, so yeah where does where does the drive for entrepreneurship come from with
1: you? Well, in the beginning, I I wanted to do all this because I felt like this is the way towards freedom. Um, I feel like that's like a misunderstood concept, because if you have uh, a business, then uh, you serve your customers and you also serve your investors. So you're not in total freedom as you would imagine, Um, not like uh, when you're working at uh, a large corporate or whatever. Um, so that's what drove me initially then, then, then seeing all this impact, seeing, seeing, um uh, 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 the impact we make at our customers. Like when we initially released a very simple version of our product several years ago, and people started saying that, okay, this looks interesting. That that's like phrase drove me like crazy to, okay, let's make this, uh, interested person into a paying customer. And I still remember like one and a half years ago when we released the alpha version of our current product that's able to do, uh, able to create videos in a self-serve basis using generative AI. Uh, there was a, there was a guy from a company who paid upfront $1,000 for a whole year. And I was amazed like, oh my gosh, such a large amount of money for such a shitty product in my opinion. But since then I of course learned that if you feel like your product is shitty, that's, that's the perfect kind of feeling, because that means that you are doing it right. And, uh, and, uh, I'm all for that. Um, and these days, you know, it's always, always, um, uh, I'm not saying it's tough to keep this drive, keep this momentum in yourself, but the fact that you surround yourself with colleagues, for example, one of our team members, Amos just left university to join a company. He was here part time for like a year or so. And, uh, he decided to leave his university studies behind because he sees such a strong growth potential in the company. And he's been an amazing colleague in the meantime. This this puts lots of responsibility on my shoulder because I don't wanna I don't wanna <laughs> fuck up this guy's life, right? I I, I want to ensure that this place is something that he can he can grow his skills uh, at and and uh, become an even better person. And this just also brings extra puts extra pressure on me, which is you know it's not a negative thing. It's actually a positive thing because it just reinforces me that what we are doing here is something truly valuable. And that's an amazing feeling. And I have another example of a colleague who declined a job offer, which was supposed to give like two and a half, two, almost twice as much money. And, uh, and this colleague decided to join our company in the end because of the drive and, and, and the vision uh, and the culture that we are building. These things makes these things make me so happy to be honest that uh, I forget about all the challenges and the difficulties. And maybe one more thing worth highlighting is, uh, I tend to, I tend to visit customers these days in person. I truly believe in face-to-face communication and simply, simply hearing words like this was a ground, this is a groundbreaking solution, or, or this makes their lives less stressful. These are very strong words in my opinion. And, and these, uh, these truly keep you passionate. So these internal, like, um, Back, uh, internal messages and 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 uh, kind of communication from your team and also from customers. I think these two channels just drive you so much energy and this this is where I'm draining my energy from, right?
0: Thanks. Lots of lots of responsibility. But you, you are right. Um, I've identified Colossian, You know, user up there with. I mean, there are companies who say they're on state of the art, but you know, user on you know, the state of the art of what is physically capable with machines. Um before we actually talk about let's say your personal growth of how you've you've developed your skills from engineer into business person, I just wanted to ask out of interest, so when you started Colossian, let's say like the technology comput- computational power gans, what was available when you started versus when you are available now, like, has have you seen like dramatic changes in in, in the tech
1: space? Uh, when we started, like that's kind of when the open source technology wave to live was launched. That was like the foundational aspects of what we used and we ditched the entire thing because it wasn't really high quality for us to work with. But uh, uh, even back then and today, there are not so many open source options. Uh, Primarily because academia thinks this is a dangerous technology to manipulate people's facial expressions, which I true, truly agree with. And at the same time, this is a very niche technology as well. So few people know about this in the whole world and uh, and uh, they are not really open sourcing it, uh, even the academia. So because of that, all of the technological development has to be done in, in, internally and, uh, and uh, um, I would, I would imagine that it must be easier today than it was years ago to just kickstart this. But the entry, the, the barrier to entry is still very high. Um, it's, it's, it's very difficult. Not like in other aspects of AI, then, where you have a bunch of open source solutions, even like products that you can purchase for subscriptions that you can plug in an API or something. This has to be built in, internally.
0: I had a, I had a very strange request. With one of my colleagues. So he knows I talk to people like you about face scans, open AI, right? It's it's in there. He was going on a a stag party, and he wanted to know was it possible if they could get an AI generated message off James Blunt about about the stag, wishing them wishing him a good holiday and a and a, and a happy marriage.
1: but and that's, I, that's actually possible. When in the early days we were requested to do, to create James Bond happy birthday videos for a CEO, and and that was one of the reasons why we transitioned into Colossium from defudger, which was about detecting defect videos. Um, essentially, um, essentially uh, uh, they paid us money to create a video, and that just gave the entire intuition that hey, why don't we just turn to this content generation side because there's like validation already that they are willing to pay for it. And we created a James Bond video to it for a CEO of, um, of a Telenor, a mobile telecommunications company, uh, a personalized message from James Bond saying him happy birthday. Nice. That's a, that's a
0: nice story. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's, let's talk about you, how, how your role has changed. So you're now, handling a whole bunch of different topics right you're handling more topics than one person should handle as it is never mind your company's extremely fast growing um and is in the deep tech space right so a number of things that are just high pace high volume happening all the time you're talking marketing operations commercials product recruitment let's let's start off with, with marketing because this one this one amazed me and it amazed me for a couple of reasons is that majority of tech teams like your own at Colossian are, are tech people right he's he's know each other he's worked together he's went to university together he's build a tech product you launch a product to start to become successful you then have to go to get funding meet some people and they're going to say what's your what's your strategy How's how are you going to go to market and you guys have never been you just haven't been preparing yourselves to be asked those questions throughout your work career, throughout your education career, and now all of a sudden it's super important. How did you prepare yourself to move towards this or make that pivot in, in skill sets? And what was that like?
1: But tons of failures, uh, I guess. It just kind of like a kind of like a um, evolution evolutionary step because you fail so many times and you start thinking oh my gosh should i st- should i keep failing like this or should i iterate something on my process that's when we that's when i you know kind of uncover the meaning of what even it what does it even mean to have a go to market strategy what is a go to market strategy like uh, took me took me from the beginning like one or two years even to understand like to if i would be honest to myself it, several years to fully understand what how should I respond to such questions? What should I possibly tell the investor so they 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 understand it from their perspective, like they they hear the answers to their questions that they want to hear, and what should how should I plan it myself with my own like way of thinking, right? Um, um, this this was a truly iterative process. Um, if i I would love to point out to some guidance or just articles and even sources of information I've found yeah but, please do but i'm just I'm just trying to think back and I cannot point to any that truly you know explained it so for for many for many topics within marketing or sales i I can definitely name a few resources, but this was truly an iterative process and based on feedback maybe maybe I should create some content about this at one point, but um, eventually I, I learned this through failing um, and, and, and also asking for feedback once we already had investors and, and understanding what they meant. What I mean all, all, by about all this is just explaining how we are about to target a certain segment, explaining the numbers they, uh, of the strategy and and the whole acquisition and and the conversions and and lending of new revenues and what what, what a go to market strategy is eventually yeah um, so it's so yeah
0: what, what I like about that is is you can see clearly how your learnings you might call them failures, your learnings were creating an internally built process for yourself and i mean that's 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 fantastic it's it's great now you will probably face the challenge at some point where you might have to go more towards operations, towards strategy. And you're now going to have to pass over marketing to someone else, you know, and you have your process. But it's very hard because you've learned it through, I guess you would say, the skill of hard knocks and setbacks, right? That yeah, it's, to- it's not a playbook. You need to almost create what you've done and make it repetitive. So the next person can just get it and get how it
1: works for you that's true and at the same time probably this is why people say that you know like uh running your second startup is significantly easier that's why probably people get such higher valuations because you have this whole playbook in your mind right um in my opinion i was not so fast in the first half of the company's life in in learning this because i failed simply so many times and i was lucky to have so I, I mean, not really runway, because we didn't really burn that much money, if I would be honest, but simply, simply patience towards myself, like psychological patience of, hey, will this be successful at any point soon? And, um, and uh, I think this could be even learned sooner. Uh, it just, uh, it's just loads of uh, lo- loads of like, ignorance and, and and not, not really conscious ignorance, but focus on other things that, uh, and a shift of priorities that I may have done in a in wrong way. But uh, my best advice is just to be patient. And uh, if you are patient and you fail many times, you will end up at the right place, right?
0: Can I ask you, um, do you feel that coming from a software engineering background, you are tech bias thinking, yeah, the tech is great. The marketing will do itself or like, did you have a different idea behind it? Uh,
1: I think Ben Horowitz had this saying of first time founders worry about product. And, uh, maybe it was, maybe it was uh, Peter Thiel actually, but uh, I, I like this post that they usually say, because it's true, because first time founders usually worry about product and uh, not distribution. A second time founders worry about distribution because they know the product will be done anyways. And even though we are an AI and it's an incredibly challenging field, I firmly agree with it. And in the first years of, of me doing this, I was so worried about product, not uh, at, at distribution. And even today, I find myself in situations when I try to spend more time with product, that could be because of my technical background, or could be because of this biased way of thinking, but I'm trying to force myself to spend more than 60, 70% of my time with distribution, because I believe we have really capable people and, and just a a great trajectory of success already. That's like paved out for the product to be, to be like, uh, not complete, but, but truly, truly revolutionary and, and state of the art. And uh, I'm trying to force myself to not to think about product that much, even though we are a product led company and probably this is because essentially because of my background, I'm biased towards thinking about products. So my best advice would be force yourself to think about distribution, to think about marketing and sales, because I find myself in situations that I always try to think about products, probably because of my background or interest. I don't know, but, uh, this, this is also a major learning I would say.
0: Um, I feel that that might be the answer what my next question is going to be, but what did you learn about marketing that you were able to introduce to Glossy that had the most value? Um, I, I
1: I think I is think, um, um, the concept of uh, channel product fit. Lots of people talk about product market fit and uh, this channel product fit concept was brought up like one and a half years Ago to me by uh, Andrew, who was one of our um, p advisors back uh, back in those days, and um, I read a lot of resources about the concept. And uh, it's all about the uh, I think the the all initial days of marketing is about uh, uh, rule of uh, the the power of, of, of um, how should I say it's, it. Maybe we could cut this out. <laughs> um, I will just restart. Uh, so the so the whole um, this whole uh, product channel fit concept is about focusing your efforts on a single marketing channel. Channels are like PPC, uh, social media, or or even uh, partnerships or, or word of mouth could be a channel because you have such scarce resources. And we made the mistake of trying to focus on all of these channels all at once with not even two full-time people in the marketing team. And it simply didn't work. So the largest largest learning for me was trying to focus ourselves on a a single channel and have this bullseye mentality uh, with this bullseye concept in marketing of trying to test and validate at least two, three channels before trying to focus on one and then deliberately focus on that one and assess its results, uh, see the customer acquisition costs and and uh, and the uh, payback periods and 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 ensure that you're focusing your efforts on making the single channel work. And there are loads of great resources about each channels, which channel is great for what kind of a company. So you don't even have to go through testing 10, 20 channels. And in the early days, it's primarily on demand generation. I firmly believe that marketing should be focused on demand generation in the beginning because you need validation. For validation, you need customers and visitors. And, uh, and we are in the stage now where we also have to think about brand and, and, and further stuff, product marketing as well, right? So, yeah. I got, a, I got an
0: interesting advert on my Instagram. I, I don't know if you guys had something to play in it or there's definitely some form of generative AI in it. It it, it clearly um, scans through celebrities that I like goes through the database of people that they have as a generated video of them. In my case, it was Tyson Fury. It opened up and it said, 31, are you this old today? And then Tyson Fury said, dads, you need to think about getting life insurance. So I'm 31 and I'm a dad. Tyson Fury <laughs> is one of my favourite like sports well. people ever. I was like, wow, my girlfriend gets similar, but has her age, moms, mm. and an actor she likes. That is like channel marketing. It, well, I was just like, it blew my mind. Um, But that is obviously to a level of what really good marketing looks like. Um, Indeed. So Let's go let's go around this. There's other commercials that you know you've you've had to completely pick up from from the ground up, right? And I guess one that goes hand in hand with marketing, it's it's sales and marketing. How how were you introduced to sales?
1: I recently had a conversation with an investor who kind of said it really obviously that Usually the best early-day salespeople are the head of product or the CPO. I was running product management and done the whole product stuff for several years. And then I found myself in sales and it's worked extremely well. And I wasn't really conscious about this, but I never would have imagined that I would be good in sales when I was a child. And, and, uh, uh in my early days of uh, high school whatever i always love to do these bargains and selling my stuff to get some more money for primary fuel for my car right but uh but uh, eventually eventually um i always like to uh handle money and be conscious about my financials but i never imagined myself doing sales uh and and eventually eventually i realized that since i'm the one who knows the product, the most. We are a product led business, which means that the product is above everything else. The product is the uh, driver of value for our customers. Um, I I found myself in situations when I started to sell like pretty large deals. And, and I was like, Okay, this kind of works. Let's make this even let's, let's, let's um, make this work even better and started to read about concepts I really recommend Soster. I recently found out about it in the past few months, and since then I read like 400 articles. It's incredible, very practical. Um, gave me loads of ideas. <laughs> so with this way, you can just uh, you can just uh, even do sales more scientifically than you would at the start. And uh, this is also like try and error and just following logical reasons uh, or lo- sorry logical logical steps um when it comes to pricing and just selling an enterprise plan even in your early software i guess you have to just start small and we saw this one thousand dollar subscription back then it seemed like a huge number now it's like nothing but uh, it's still a great victory even today if we can sell subscription for a thousand dollars but the way you increase this and and have further like uh opportunities on the horizon is just quite running try and error so trying to increase your price. And in the early days it's not a top priority to sell a hundred thousand dollar plan if your company is not targeting such deal sizes. Uh the, the 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 what you have to do is is you have to sell sell and and you have to ensure that uh, customers buy by the, the package that you are trying to sell. And afterwards you can you can always increase prices and and uh, run more scientific and and validated sales processes as more mature companies, and this is a process what we are going through. Uh, it's a great learning curve. Uh, right now, I'm trying to uh, teach other sales reps to do what I've learned, and uh, and uh, that's also a very challenging thing, but uh, a different kind of experience. Yeah, So
0: this is this is what I guess a couple of questions in, in on that. So you mentioned you sales also was a bit of trial and error. But now you know what works. You've started to do a bit of research into it. You probably have your own process now. You have your own introductions. Someone has a positive experience with you in a sales sales call, sales environment conference. You have, I know exactly this is how I'm going to follow up. This is what it's going to be. Someone rejects. You then know how to maybe try and bring them back into the pipeline and Three six months time, right? You've you've built this whole. I guess you can call it sales enablement and function around yourself, just based on your knowledge.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I don't think you need like you need to be um, uh, concerned about these processes processes, because I was always so concerned that how am I going to do enterprise sales? There is Procter and Gamble, there is like Hewlett Packard. How am I going to sell them a large tier? Uh, when I'm like 24 years old and and have no experience with sales, the thing is that you have to believe uh, in yourself. This is a very generic, like kind of saying, but you know As this is what f- happened. I imagine that is,
0: I would um, fake it until you make it. That's the sales phrase. Exactly, price. <laughs>
1: exactly. Uh, that's the, it has it has truth, right? And and well, I had to imagine myself selling an actual big deal to a company like that and it worked out and even i couldn't imagine that I, I couldn't realize that it actually worked out i was really surprised but that just reinforces you it reinforces you that you can do it and from then on it's just uh, a series of, of of victories and and by now it's just a piece of cake it's just uh like doing a push-up in the morning right so uh, that's how it should work eventually right
0: when when you were learning did you ever like Randomly cold call your colleagues to see if they buy Colossian off
1: What well, you you mean like from internally like practicing? Yeah, just, some...
0: just like internal practicing.
1: No, I never did. I it... never ever did that. So I'm, I'm a bit impatient sometimes and I'm just trying to do this on actual customers. Um, It's a better feedback uh, quality, oh. I guess. The quality of feedback is better.
0: Well, here's the next one. And I think you've mentioned that already. You want to meet a lot of your customers face to face. You want to do like that is traditional business. It works well. How well is being so close to your customers? How well does that benefit you when looking to acquire new customers, even in marketing, even in sales? Like you've probably heard all the compliments, all their complaints, right? And then you have a new customer and they're saying, what about this? What about this? But you, you should have that knowledge.
1: Right. Can you specify on the questions you, you're asking about the existing, uh, current yeah. customers, but they have requests or.
0: So we'll just start again to question from here. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned you do a lot of your, uh, customer and clients, you meet them face to face after you yes. want to get to know them. You want to understand that really good business acumen, really good skills, not not enough businesses do that now. What, what benefits does that bring you? Of course, you've got, you can retain the customers, but if you try and flip that in, that knowledge that you gain, are you able to convert good customer relationships into future sales and future marketing tactics?
1: Definitely. So there is this rule of thumb that every new deal above, uh, $40,000, $50,000 must be visited face to face. I read a bunch of like insights about this. I truly believe in it. Um, and and uh, those are a must for a salesperson because it economically makes sense in my, uh, in my view. Um, but in the early days, of course, I visited like even a $800 uh, annual customer. I was just really interested. Why the hell did you buy our software? Like you mentioned all our competitors, But why did you buy Colosseum? And, uh, and it was, it was also extremely motivating and insightful, uh, when it came to larger enterprise deals, did the same. I think what, I think a common mistake that I, I see in the industry is that, um, uh, like founders tend to only meet either, uh, with new deals. So new opportunities or with, uh, existing customers, I think you have to do both. It's really important to pay attention to this because uh, if you hire a VP of sales and you make the customer success report under the VP of sales, you will have no direct connection with your customer success team. This means you have no direct attention to the problems of your existing enterprise and, and, and client base. And that just makes you disconnected. This is what I'm doing really consciously that I'm trying to visit new and existing uh, clients and uh, and the opportunities and, and uh, this benefits in closing new deals, so closing like large new enterprises, which is of course has a financial benefit right away so that's really easy to under understand uh, I would say uh when it, when it comes to existing customers, if someone is facing churn or even if you want to ensure that someone renews visit them face to face gives such a giant psychological boost that they feel treated because no other software company does this they don't pay attention to this so even if the customer success manager visits them face to face that's already an amazing uh an amazing like uh uh, uh bonus and um and as founder and ceo you, you can also add an additional bonus there and previously i when i visited one of our existing enterprise customers i had eight pages of notes that I took throughout the whole day when I was there. And it it was just an amazing reinforcement for our product development team, uh, to our head of product as well, to ensure that they can work on the actual priorities. These were like actual pains that the customer uh, saw, and I had a bunch of new, like larger, longer term bets as well for the product, longer term features and capabilities we can develop. And that's simply, simply, uh, extremely valuable uh um it's 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 definitely beneficial in both cases
0: and if um handling all this wasn't enough you also uh take ownership of of recruitments um obviously an area i'm very closely related to i'm always interested to hear how how companies do this so how how have you develop your recruitment processes and i guess look even it being if you look back and you were to judge yourself would you say you had a recruitment process when you started versus what it is now how have you sort of upskilled and learned to make or increase your chances of making better hires better team fits better culture fits
1: uh, so i just want to uh, appreciate my uh, leadership teams involvement because uh because of them, like these days, these months, I'm not really involved in most of the recruitment. Uh, so that, uh, you know, like situation is, is not true. So I'm only recruiting uh, uh, commercial times for my commercial team that I am heading and also strategic uh, leaders and key hires as CEO. That's always your responsibility. So that's like a very clear thing to do that. You must recruit the leaders of the company. Um, um, I would say that, uh, it's really great that uh, Imre, our head of engineering is taking care of hiring all the engineers. We have almost 10 engineers by now. Shazip with our head of research taking care of hiring all the AI researchers. Um, when it comes to the process, uh, I would really start, like, I would say that when we re when we really started hiring was when we uh, raised our seed round and we needed engineers and. I already had a process there. So this was really, really early days. And simply by reading the book called, uh, who the method of hiring, I simply Im- implemented the whole process from that book and it worked really well. And since then that's the hiring process for the entire company. We follow that process and it works well. That's how we hired, uh, almost uh, 30 people by now. Uh, so, um, it, 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 it truly works. Um, what's,
0: that that is against the norm. So look, con- congratulations. Um, most people, m- most startups, and the hiring people based on gut feeling, right? <laughs>
1: and- that feeling is extremely important. Like I, I truly believe in gut feeling. But same with sales, you have to put a bit of science behind this as well, in my opinion, and process, and uh, and this just ensures, like, uh, like. Uh, that it performs well and is well managed. Uh, the responsibilities are also clear in the pipeline, in the stages of interviewing and everything. Um, I believe that we could do hiring much better. Um, I saw other startups who are doing like this scoring based system on cultural interviews, uh, on, on technical interviews. Uh, I think we could do this much better, but I would need some assistance from from uh, from our HR team to build this, and we don't really have the resources right now. Um, I think we could definitely make our recruitment process much, much better from from a candidate's perspective as well. But, you know, it's priorities at the end of the day, and uh, uh, we will probably work on it in the next 12 months. But until then, we didn't really touch it, to be frank.
0: The book on that, it's actually, it's the one that I see recruitment process most common and um, club companies I've I partnered with, like even like Delivery Hero, HelloFresh, WorldCoin. The reason why I say those companies is, is they hire at mass and they hire at it scale. It's the same way that Amazon done it with the behavioral-based interviews, the competency-based questions. And it's all done in different stages where a lot of different people would take part. Also like the underlying decision. So if it's a commercial hire, right, it sits with you. At some point, they'll have to meet someone from outside the commercial team because you could be influenced, right? You can say, "I'm under pressure. I've got a big sales target I need to hit. I need salespeople." So you could just be like, "Yeah, I'll hire the next two guys, no matter what they're like, or I'll hire two the best two out of a bunch." Whereas traditionally, you would like, right? We have a minimal bar. They don't need this. They don't get let into. They don't. They don't get to join our business and work with us. So. It allows for, for bias, sorry, it takes out the, the bias, it takes out the rush, because you can't just hire in a rush.
1: Yeah, uh, you cannot, and that's, the, that's when the worst hires will get made and rushing the whole hiring. So you have to resist that um, positive um, paradise feeling when, you know, once you've made the hire, everything is going to be much better because uh, it's a false, a false expectation from yourself to be honest.
0: Yeah. Um, moving on towards, uh, some so towards the end there, we've mentioned semi so about like product market fit, you coming from product background. Guess what I wanted to ask is what, what skills have been transferable coming from a, a product heavy background into, into a co-founder founding a business?
1: I think, simply, if you are running, um, I think tech companies should definitely be run by technical founders who have a technical understanding, because essentially, that's the foundations of the business. And, uh, and it's just beneficial from engineering, technological and product perspective to understand the the basic concepts. And uh, uh, it just makes me makes the whole job a lot easier that I can understand all these, all these um, advancements that uh, the team is making and all the challenges, not all the challenges because they are like so complex problems that I really don't, uh, I can't understand. I don't really have the time either to understand, but it's just this way of thinking that that helps at the end of the day. Um, Other than that, uh, I believe we are still a very small company. At this stage, I must be very close to the product, very close to tech, very close to marketing sales as we will grow and to 10 X, maybe even hundred X, uh, size or more. Um, it's, it could change, but even at this stage, I would imagine that this is still a benefit and this is still a beneficial practice to do. Um, this is what I would highlight here.
0: Nice. Nice. Um, wrapping up are you ready for the the quick fire questions yes good um what are your current goals for upskilling yourself
1: um i definitely want to invest more into strategy because of my commercial efforts and and uh, my learning curve on the commercial fields i kind of neglected thinking sitting down doing deep work and thinking about where to bring the company i've done it uh, in the mid Past or something like that but but not so recently and i realized that i must do this more frequently i'm blocking my set of time and trying to have this kind of peaceful hours for myself um, that's one thing the the other is that i have to uh, I, I want to add a bit of patience to my kind of communication and 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 just uh, um understand like like Handling internal conflicts and just expectations, um, I think that wouldn't hurt. Um, um, and uh, and uh, I guess uh, I will now need to learn a lot more about recruitment again because I will have to hire so much more senior leaders than I I did before, and that's going to be a different game, different recruitment process as well. So uh, I'm already waiting towards that. Yeah.
0: Nice. I'll try and remember the name of that book that I, I read about, uh, the Amazon recruitment process. Um, I keep looking around cause it should be here in my office somewhere. <laughs> um, a book podcast or content that you would recommend to, uh, other entrepreneurs.
1: Well, when it comes to product management, like I've done the whole initial pricing and packaging based on Lenny's, uh, newsletter, which is a great product management. Um, Slack community and newsletter as well. Make sure to check that out. Um, I learned a lot from, uh, about marketing. Like I knew nothing about, literally nothing about marketing. And uh, uh, it was the growth handbook uh, from Demand Curve. Yes, uh, uh, this was very useful. And also MKT13, there is a newsletter, uh, which is a marketing newsletter. These two sources are great for marketing in my opinion. Nice. Then Kai Poyar's uh, PLG uh, uh, newsletter is also amazing about the concepts of PLG and everything that OpenView publishes. Uh, from sales, I would definitely recommend Um uh, uh, That's is truly awesome. And uh, I have also advisors who I'm always talking with when it comes to sales, CS, and support. Um, what else? I, my favorite book is This Great CEO Within. It's written by a coach called Matt, Matt Moharky, I think uh, he, is, uh, he is a great executive coach of companies such as Notion. And um, and uh, the book is 100 pages, extremely practical, really dense. And it just laid down the foundational way of thinking for me regarding how to run a company. Without that book, I think I wouldn't be where I am today, to be honest. So that's a really great value and it's available for free even. Um,
0: That sounds like my type of book, 100 pages. (laughs) Um, Exactly. What what are your three non-negotiables when it comes to being a leader, whether that's setting up your your team or setting yourself up?
1: Mm, You mean like expectations or? Uh,
0: Sorry, your non-negotiables. So I guess you could... Your minimum standards—three things that you say this is the minimum standards that either I do for my team or this I I expect from my my team.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I think uh, communication over communication. I I I feel like that's incredibly important. Like I really demand from all of our team members to uh, keep communicating, keep using open channels, keep keep putting information to public. That's like truly essential to uncover problems because. We are paying so many clever people, and if you are not leveraging all these brains that's not good in my opinion uh the second is hard work I'm a really hard working person I expect everyone to work uh hard uh we definitely want to work with hard working people and the third are um um, agreements uh, and and responsibility, uh, responsibility kind of. So if if we make an agreement, if if, uh, if someone agrees to fulfill uh, another person's request, it's really important that we can count on each other. We are an elite sports team here at Colosseum, and we want to ensure that uh, we are surrounded by people who we can trust and and expect things from. So if there are agreements, uh, we want to count on each other th- uh, each other that those are getting fulfilled. Uh, or communicated, right? So um, these are, like, uh, really strong principles. Nice.
0: Final question, Dominic. If you could do it all again, what would you do differently?
1: Loads of things. Uh, I would read all of these resources that I mentioned one by one every article. That would be amazing. And and, uh, I would start with marketing and not product. I would definitely fake it. Fake fake the whole product uh, as a as a whole. Use a no cost solution, and not. I wouldn't focus on building. I would focus on validating. Uh, uh, lead uh, visitors to a, a newsletter or a queue or, or or a database to sign up, and and ensure that there is like a demand before you actually start building, and make sure to build iteratively. Um, this is my major learning, to be honest. All
0: right, Dominic. It was an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, thanks for that. I, I look forward to seeing Cassian's growth. I look forward to having you back in two or three years, if you'll even have time for me then, because I, oh, I, sure. I do expect you guys to to be up there with, with some of the names, some of the biggest names and EU scale-ups. But um, it was a pleasure having you, Dominic.
1: For sure. Thank you so much, Anthony. It's a pleasure from end as well. And thanks for the great audience. That
0: concludes another
1: enlightening episode of the Leadership Labs
0: podcast. If you found today's episode thought-provoking and informative, be sure to subscribe to the Leadership Labs on your preferred podcast platform or on YouTube. Thank you once again for joining us on this journey to the Leadership Labs. Until next time.